0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Well, this morning we're just kicking into something a little bit new, and um, we're going to take our time with this. I'm not going to speak very long. It's going to have um, a bit of spiritual application, a lot of practical application, and I and I love I love these kind of things. Um, where we get to look at the Word of God and we get to look firmly into it and say, hey, God, you're giving us some, some beautiful instruction. And uh, we get a chance to say, hey, we Holy Spirit, we want to come up to this. And so this is, this is a really, I believe, something that God is going to begin to unfold in our church and um, to give us some keys on how we begin to walk um, in truly what it means to be a spirit-led life. And all that means is this, is that, when we say stuff like the Spirit-led life, is that we're living in relationship with God and what He desires to do, right? And that's what we all want to do, ultimately. We should desire to do that. So go ahead and open up your Bibles this morning to Colossians 1, and we're going to read 9 through 14 really quick. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen behind me or your phone if you have an app. Um, and it says this, It says, for this reason, this is the Apostle Paul talking, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is what this looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God Let me give you just a little bit of background on this passage and, more importantly, this book uh, that we call Colossians, really quick, to give us a little bit of understanding. The first thing that we need to understand here is that this is like we studied in the last, uh, we looked at in the last series that we were in, in the book of Ephesians, is a prayer that Paul prayed for the church, and anytime we see this, what we have to understand is that this transcends a personal letter. This isn't just like a letter you or I might receive where it has just an intended recipient, but it extends past the church in Colossae, for, for, uh, for instance, and goes all the way into us. So Paul is, in essence, praying for the entirety of every believer that would ever be. And more so, it's not just Paul that's praying, it's the Holy Spirit. So this is what God desires and what I love about these prayers that are prayed throughout the New Testament that we see from Paul and guys like Peter is that they carry a very much a tenderness of God's heart with them. It's almost like if you have kids, what you would write to your kids in a card or a letter and say, hey, this is what I want for you. I want you to grow up into this. I want you to be a good person. I want you to be a kind person. I want you to work hard. I want you to uh, uh, strive to do things that maybe challenge you. And so we see this same kind of tenderness in, in Paul's prayer here. But I want to give a little bit of background on the church of Colossae because there is several things that we could pull away from understanding why Paul wrote this letter, the Holy Spirit had Paul write this letter to the church at this time. And and this is just part of digging a little deeper, okay? And some of us, we we don't necessarily understand this when we go to the Scripture or take the time to understand this, but there is an importance for this because there is a Scripture that says there is nothing new under the sun, okay? Okay? So it means this, as how we're going to apply it, is this. Is that the same traps that befell the church in Colossae, sometimes they're not new things. So the things that we see that try to trap us in our thinking or trap us to become apathetic or stagnant. Or they try to trap us in in wrong thinking to believe a lie. These things aren't new. These things aren't new. They're as old as time. They're as old as the the one who brought them, the enemy, Satan. They're old. They're maybe just used a little differently. But here Paul writes and he, he goes in a very loving way, a way that's filled with grace. And he challenges them in these different areas in the pursuit or the hope to see them grow into the fullness that God desires for them to be. So the church in Colossae would be in what we see today as, as modern day Turkey. So this church would be in that part of the world, in that part of, of, of Asia, and it was facing several issues. The first issue it faced was ceremonialism. All right, now let me tell you what this means is that the church in Colossae was being told things that they should eat and drink that would cleanse them or make them holy. Now, we don't necessarily have that problem today, but what we face today sometimes, and maybe even if we don't feel it in a church setting, sometimes we feel it in our personal life, is called legalism. And this is just a a very specific form of legalism that was facing the church there. They were being told that you had to to eat a certain way and and do it ceremonially so that it, it somehow brought more righteousness to you. But in our lives, let me ask you this question: Do we ever feel that way to say, if I'm not good, God's not gonna hear me? I don't deserve the good things that God gives because of my attitude or my action. Have we ever thought that before? In our own life, have we ever struggled with that? Or maybe, God forbid, some of you were part of a church at some point that told you that. If you didn't dress a certain way or look a certain way or do a certain thing, then you weren't righteous. You, God didn't love you, in essence. And so Paul tackles that. Why? Why is that important? Because it challenges the idea of free grace. In essence, if legalism had any kind of root or merit within it, it would say this, that we needed to get cleaned up in order to receive salvation or receive God's love or receive grace. But Paul says certainly not. While we were in the depths of our sin, while we were God-haters, Jesus loved us and he died for us and he extended his grace to us. Now when we come into that grace, certainly our life changes and we're going to talk about that today. But Paul tackles this, and then the second thing that Paul tackles is this, is this word called aestheticism, which is the extreme avoidance of, of certain indulgences for the sake of false spirituality. Now, let me tell you what this means, because you guys are like, what and the what and the what? This is basically somebody living in an isolated way to the point where they think that they are gaining some kind of righteousness out of it that they say no I can't I can't do that I can't I can't go to the movies I can't I can't do this I can't I can't partake in this I can't I can't I can't I can't I can't I can't and now here's the problem with this idea is that sometimes when we get so closed off that we begin to lose the value of the reason why the light of Jesus is in us because we've been called into a dark world and so it challenges us this way because what happens is that when we give into this thought process is that we become a holy huddle. We become a few that just say, okay, this is what we believe and this is what we do and we don't do this and we're good with this and, and this, but we, we, we stop and we forget that uh, we've been called into the dark world. And so there's a balance in this and so Paul tackles this. He tackles this. And then he goes on and he tackles, and, and, and again, let me, give, let me back up, and this idea of ceremonialism is, is in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, if you're taking notes. And this aestheticism is in chapter 2, verse 21 and 23, if you, if you want to look at that later. But then the big issue, the, the, the hub of the issue that was facing the church in Colossae was this, is that they were depreciating Christ, and they did this three ways. And we see this in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, is that they worshipped angels. They worshipped angels. They began to worship spiritual beings above Jesus. Now again, let me say something to the particular blend of church that we are as a charismatic church, as a church that believes in the active moving of the Holy Spirit, is that we cannot exalt even the gifts of the Holy Spirit above Jesus Christ. Is everybody good? Everybody just nod at me and look at me and say, okay, all right. Because this is, in essence, what was taking place in a different form, is that they began to value angels. And again, that got them into wonky things. It got them into a mixture of some of their old belief systems and their old idolatry and all that and and. and inevitably, when when that happens, when we begin to exalt anything above Jesus Christ, it will become idolatry to us. We'll become absorbed into it and we'll begin to worship those things. And the scripture is very clear that it's only Jesus Christ that deserves the highest place. All right. So the second way that they did this is that they brought in this word called Gnosticism. They allowed it to come in. And let me just give you a very a very paraphrased understanding of Gnosticism really quick because you're going to see a little bit of understanding, a parallel in in, in our world, is that they said this, that stuff is evil, but the spirit is good. Stuff is evil. And you see how this kind of correlates to all these other things that were facing the church here in Colossae, but they were it got to an extreme. Gnosticism said this, that the only benefit is what we can come up to, uh, to with And gain is spiritual understanding, but not attached to God, not attached to Jesus Christ. They believed that there was no need for the substitutionary work of Jesus, that Jesus did not need to die. But rather, the big issue was ignorance. So you weren't dying because of sin, you were dying from the lack of knowledge. So they began to elevate their thinking and their understanding. They sought to gain salvation through enlightenment or secret knowledge. They began to do this. And in essence, what it did is it moved God out of the way. The third thing was this, that ties hand in hand with with Gnosticism is this, is that they relied upon human wisdom, that they became humanistic. That they trusted their opinions and their academic achievement. They trusted these things. So you see how these things go hand in hand. And and can we see just a small parallel today? That when we deviate from the truth of the word of God, what happens is this. We will give in to opinion. We will give in to other things that, that become truth to us. And it becomes less about the, 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 the pure truth of saying that Jesus Christ must be Lord of our life. That we must confess sin. That we must trust in him wholly. That we must put our faith that he is. Oh, there we go. All right, we're back on. Hmm. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, you got to love it. Just got to roll with the punches. All right. So here's what we see here, is that Paul begins to unfold this prayer. And, and what we're going to talk about today is just one simple thing, is we're going to talk about good works. Okay, we're going to talk about good works. All right, now here is the purpose for why Paul prayed this prayer, and why we need to pay attention to it, why it's important for us. I just want to go back to this part of the scripture in Colossians 1. Um, It says this, Paul says this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So the purpose of why Paul wrote this and and the Holy Spirit had Paul write this and, and for our lives is this, is so that we begin to live a life that is worthy unto the Lord. Now, that's simple enough to understand, but why is that important? It's important because in our life, the the times that we feel the most conflict, if if you confess Jesus Christ and you consider yourself a believer in Jesus, the times that you will find yourself in the deepest conflict is when you are, even if you don't know it, you're living in conflict to what God desires. And so the best way to avoid that is is to begin to walk in the will of God. Because when you walk in the will of God, you begin to show pleasure to what God's purposes are. Now the key is, the million dollar question then would become, well, well, well how do I know the will of God? Okay, that's, that's understandable that it's going to be the path of least resistance and it's going to be a place where I'm going to find fulfillment and joy by walking in what God desires. That makes sense to me, but how do I know? How do I know Well, this is one of the promises that that Paul prays and part of the key to understanding the will of God. Here's what he says. He says this, that he leads us through the knowledge of his will, through all wisdom and understanding. Now, there's three key words in this, knowledge, will, and understanding, that I want to just show you really quick, and the first word knowledge is the Greek word epikinosis, which a lot of you understand this. We've talked about this before. Deals with the, the understanding of of your spirit, your soul, what you really know. Now let me give you an understanding of the difference, really quick, because the Greek terms epigenosis it it, it actually parallels to this word gnosis, a knowing. So you went to school and you learned algebra. Well, not me, but you know some of you did. And and you're like, look, I got it because I had to pass it. It was in my it was in my gnosis, right? I have a brother-in-law, Josh, who just took the bar exam to become a lawyer. He just, uh, he, I know he passed it. And he's going to be a great lawyer. He's got a job here in Beaumont. So, um, you need legal advice? Don't go see him, okay? And so um, <laughs> he choked me out. He's like, no, bro, don't do that. <laughs> But he had to learn a lot, a lot of knowledge. Like he had to learn so much. He took a three day exam that was like, what, four to six hours every day? I mean, you know. And so he had to retain a lot of knowledge, but here's the thing, the things that he's actually had to apply, the, the cases he's had to work on, the things where he's had to take what he knows and make it truth, that's become epikenosis to him. See, we know things sometimes about God, but God wants us to know him in truth, in spirit and in truth. And so God gives us this promise that I'm going to begin to present my will with knowledge. It's going to come into your spirit. And this is how it happens. Through wisdom and understanding. And God begins to pour out his wisdom. The word wisdom is directly related to God's wisdom. So how does God pour out his wisdom? He pours out his wisdom Through the Word of God, through the Bible. You need to be in the Word. You need to eat the Word. You need to be about the Word. We're going to see in just a second one small thing we can do to be in the will of God. But then we see a third word. And it's this, understanding, which is our ability to comprehend. And when you put these two words together, wisdom and understanding, it's like the joining up of two streams becoming a river. And so what God says is this, is that I'm going to cause you in your your understanding, in your soul, what becomes truth to you. I'm going to let my wisdom and your ability to comprehend it come together so that it becomes life. Now here's how. When we take a step of faith to do What God desires for us to do. All right, so let's talk about bearing fruit in every good work. The first thing here that Paul prays when he says that I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. The very first thing we see is bearing fruit in every good work. So how do we bear fruit in every good work? I just want to pull three quick things out for you. The first is this. Is that good works are an overflow of our faith. So how do we begin to live in the will of the Father? And how do we begin to bear good works? We have to understand that good works is a part of our faith. Now let's read James 2, 14 and 19. It says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If, if, one, says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and, and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. (laughs) Even the demons believe that and shudder. All right. Here we go, James. Just by the way, James almost wasn't canonized for this very reason. Because what we read here should come and it should shake us. It should cause us to shudder a little bit and be troublesome. Why? Because here we see an introduction to uh, to a thought that is very much against what we understand about free grace. Did anybody catch this? Did anybody see what James said? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can, Can such faith save them? Now let me give you a further troublesome thought. This word save is the Greek word sozo, which is tied into the understanding of the Messiah. Well, Pastor, how does that, how does that work with this idea? Of what Paul said it is by grace that you've been saved, and not in and of yourself, lest any man should boast that our works are futile, our works are dead. Let me tell you what James is saying. James is not replacing faith for works, but rather saying that there is an overflow of our faith and works are the overflow. Good deeds are the overflow. That our faith has to bear fruit. That our faith has to bear fruit. That it's an impossibility for for us to say that we believe in Jesus and we trust Jesus and there not to be a change in us that overflows into good works. As a matter of fact, when you read 1 John, and I love telling you, my kids this. I, parents, this is a little trick, all right? You got this. My daughter just kind of laughed. It, it, here's why. Because it says this, if you say you hate your brother or sister, but you profess Jesus Christ, the truth is not in you. I look at him and I'm saying, do you hate your brother and sister? Yes, you do, Jesus. Jesus isn't in you. Repent and receive Jesus. You're a sinner. I'm just kind of joking with that, not all the way. But here's the point, is that there was never a breakdown in the understanding within the context of the new covenant that when we came to Jesus that there wasn't going to be an overflow out of our life that it was going to be represented in good works of some kind. And part of knowing the will of God is stepping into that and saying, God, you saved me for a reason, and there has to be an overflow out of my life. What have you called me to that is going to tell somebody else, show somebody else the love of Jesus? Now, what's interesting is this, is that James, after this, uses two examples, and they're of Abraham and Rahab. And the example he uses from Abraham is when Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac. Now, if you're not familiar with that story, go to Genesis and look it up. But it's something that if you're a dad or you're a mom, you're looking at Abraham like he's out of his mind. God asked him to sacrifice his only, really the only heir from he and Sarah, Isaac, the promise, the one who the covenant is coming through that God God said. And he says, take him up on Mount Moriah and and go and sacrifice him. Abram, and Abraham marches up with his son Isaac, and, and just in a bit of slightly parental abusiveness, makes, makes Isaac carry the wood up the mountain, right? Just kind of comical little insight into the storyline. And, and so Isaac doesn't know what's about to happen. Dad, where's the, where's the ram that we're going we're gonna to sacrifice? And, and what does Abraham say? Oh, God will, God will provide a ram, son. Come on, man. Just let that sit on you for just a second. Come on. Holy Spirit, just move on that right now. Because here's the thing. Hebrews said it. Hebrews 11 says that it was because of Abraham's faith well, he was accounted as righteous. And it uses this example again. And James uses this example. And he says this. That there is a movement within us that says, God, if you have said it, I will obey it. I will do it. I will do it. There will be an overflow of my life that extends. Now listen, past my desire. And if we're talking about good works that God has called us into, believe you me, that God is going to call you past your desire. He's gonna ask you. He's gonna say, do this. Why? And what did Abraham see? Abraham saw the faithfulness of God. And it speaks of covenant. And the second illustration we see is this is with Rahab, who looked and said, I, I believe in, in the God of Israel. Save me. I'll put you up. He put up, she put up Joshua and Caleb. And and the scripture tells us that she was saved. That in her faith, in her act of obedience, that it took an active work that she had to do, that she had to confront the fear of being exposed to somebody who harbored spies. And she she entrusted herself to the faithfulness of the God of, of Israel. And as a result, she saw the redemption of the God of Israel when all of Jericho was destroyed except for her. And so God says this to us, and this is what we see out of this first thing, is that good works are an overflow of our faith, that, that, that they follow true faith. And they have to come out of us. And so our prayer begins to shift and say, God, allow allow my faith to begin to grow past the place of my understanding so that I can trust you and step out into the things that you have called me to. The second thing is this, you and I were created for good works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast everybody take a deep breath for we can for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do here we see the tr- th- this is the understanding here that we're not we're not saved by good works and that's not even what James is saying but We see here Paul saying this and talking about the power of grace and saying that, listen, we didn't get saved. We didn't do the right things, but God chose to redeem us and save us for this purpose so that we would become God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We have been created to do good works in the name of Jesus. The third thing is this is that our good works show other people Jesus. In Matthew 5.16, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we have to understand this, that we have been called to show the tangible love of Jesus to the world that we have been called as salt and light and and part of the responsibility of knowing the will of God, of walking in the pleasure of God, of understanding and hearing His his Spirit and, and, and walking in that fellowship is saying, God, a part of me you have created to show other people who do not know you that are in darkness your love. And that means that I have got to go. I've got to speak. I've got to... Do something that shows that truth to them. This is what I love about the example that Jesus gave. He didn't just talk about it from more of a philosophical understanding, but actually when he commissioned the disciples and sent them out in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, it says this. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. What's the point of this? See, it's one thing to talk about the love of Jesus, but in order for the love of Jesus to become tangible, we have to go. See, when we, when we really break this down and we see this in the most practical level, Matthew 10, 7 and 8, what we hear Jesus saying is that you, you're, about to, you're about to walk out into the, the world. You're about to bump into people in the city square, or go knock on some doors or see some some people in Starbucks or or or, you know, when you head out to Walmart in downtown Jerusalem, you're going to go see them. And they're going to be there. And this is what I want you to do is I want you to proclaim the kingdom. But I don't want you just to stand up on a soapbox and say, you know, hearken unto me. The kingdom's here. We know who the Messiah is. He does great things. Come see him. Come see him. And, But he said to him this, he said, go and heal the sick. When we talk about healing the sick, what has to take place? Well, let me just be very, very just practical. Somebody has to walk up to somebody and say, hey, can I pray for you? And when you pray for him, you have to put your hand on them. You have to touch them. And you have to pray in faith. What happens when... When we raise the dead. Now, raising the dead is a wee wee bit more confrontational. (laughs) Right? Now, is Jesus really talking about this? Is this a metaphor? Mm -hmm. Let's just say it's not. Go interrupt the funeral. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) wants to do that. Here's my point. My point is this, is that Jesus never said, look, The kingdom is about philosophy. The kingdom is about what you know. The kingdom is about this. The kingdom is about this. Because every one of those things that we we read there in Matthew 10, it impacts this. It doesn't impact this. See, those people didn't walk away and say, oh, I have a deeper understanding of how to raise the dead. That's good. I might pass a course. No, they said, we know the, the God who raises the dead. We know the God who heals the sick. We know the God who cleanses the lepers. We know the God who sets those who are possessed free. We know the God. But it took somebody going out, and this is probably the greatest gift that Jesus gave us in the Gospels, is when he commissioned the disciples to go. But it closes off and says, freely you have received, freely give. And I love this because it says two things to me. It says this that you don't have to figure it all out, but what you have, give away. Right? Like, like what you have, give away. And if we just simply got this truth in us, and if I got no, forget about you guys. If I got this truth in me to say, Andy, what you have, just give away. Just give away. It wasn't meant to sit on your shelf and for you to look at it and go, look what I know, but give it away. But then it speaks to something I think is far greater that I really love, is it speaks about the freedom and the goodness of our God. Because this is what I think it also says, is that God's saying, I give freedom freely. And in essence, the kingdom is the message of the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. And when we give the gospel away, we are giving the goodness of the freedom of the Father away to those who have been bound in captivity, not even by their own doing, but sometimes by the things that have happened to them. Praise the Lord. All right, let's wrap this up. Justin, come on up, man. All right, in just a minute, we're going to close this out. And uh, I want to pray for anybody today at the end of service um, after we kind of wrap up, if you're dealing with anything physical in your body, sickness or anything like that, <clears throat> I want to pray for you. Okay? That's the first thing. And then the second thing, I'll probably get some help with this, um, some of the ministry team, is if anybody is, and this is a little bit, little bit odd, but if anybody is feeling harassed, uh, no, I'm, not, I'm talking about in your mind, okay like you're feeling harassed like you're under attack okay i want to pray for you all right so let's wrap this up let's just talk let's let's talk a little bit now next week we're not we're not talking about the same thing we're going to talk about something spiritual okay this we got to understand we're talking we're laying a little bit of practical track but this is important for us to to know so let's just apply this to our life so what are some things we need to do in order to see good works begin to come into our life well, I'm going I'm to talk from my own experience, okay? And, and hopefully some of this helps you. Is The first thing is this, is that some of us need a bit of an attitude adjustment, right? When it comes to this idea, because we need a renewed vision, we, we don't see our workplace as an opportunity. If, if you see your workplace as a, as a curse and not a blessing... You don't know my boss. You don't know the co-workers I have, Pastor. Yeah, yeah I do. I work which No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Justin's like, that's you, dude. Uh, uh. No, I, I get it. I get it. Listen, I, I get it. Let me tell you a quick story is that when we moved to Los Angeles, um, and some of you who have been here before, I'm sorry. I know I've told this story before, some of it. <clears throat> I took a position at a church, and I've never lived on the West Coast. I I grew up on the East Coast, and then I lived here in Southeast Texas for most of my adult life. And we went out to Los Angeles, and we took we interviewed for this position. It was a totally just a divine, just weird, rare, odd God thing. And I took this job not knowing how much it paid. Got five kids. One two three four five. Los Angeles is um, so here's expensive. That's where Los Angeles is, right? I literally had one of the elders of the church walk up to me afterwards, after I accepted the position, and he was so excited. He said, "Do you know what this pays?" I looked at him and said, "No," and he just his face just <laughs> went blank, and he walked away from me without saying anything. And I was like, "Uh oh." Well, come to find out, I just knew in my heart, my wife and I knew in our hearts we're supposed to do this. It didn't pay what we needed, (laughs) not even half of what we needed. And so I had to work bivocationally, which wasn't a big deal. And so my first job was in this this high-end construction company that dealt with homes in Beverly Hills. And it was miserable. Miserable. I mean, Texas, you're nice. The people I worked for in Beverly Hills, no. Oh. And every day I'd go into these homes, and I'd, you know, oh, man, and I just hated it. And, and I, I finally was like, man, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I went to my pastor, and I said, look, I hey, you got to help me. you got to bail me out. This is something like, I can't, I can't, man, can, can the church, can something, man, please. I was crying. And he was like, man, I'm sorry, we can't, not right now. And I felt like the Lord said, hey, Andy, stop. Trust me. I want to be honest with you. Um, those, those people in Beverly Hills didn't get any better. But God opened up my eyes and began to show me that the owner of the company, a Jewish fellow, he began to create favor with him and then the number two guy. Still to this day, I talk to the number two guy. And they would ask me things. And they would begin to bring me along on things. And they would begin to talk to me. And, and I had an opportunity to share, share a little bit with him about faith and about the Lord. And then I actually left that company and went to another company working part-time. And another Jewish guy. Owner. And I started off at that job. And I, and I, and I made, I'm not joking with you guys. This is, this is really embarrassing for, for me. A father of five. As I took this job and I was making like $10 an hour. But I said, God, I know you put me here. I know you opened this door and I trust you. And within a few months, I was working for a full time wage on a part time scale. And this Jewish man would come to me and he would call me into his his owner. He would call me into his office and he would say, Okay, you're my Christian. (laughs) You call me his Christian. And he had a relationship with a guy in Chicago who was also a Christian. And we started tag teaming this guy and began to talk to him about the truth. And we began to speak to him and plant a seed about Jesus. And God had to open my eyes up to this, to say, Andy, if, if your attitude is wrong about this, you're not going to be able to see why I called you here You're not going to begin to understand that you've been called to do good works. Don't you worry about how you're going to be promoted or taken care of. That's my job. But your job is to begin to be the light in the world I've called you to. And I want to tell you something. There wasn't a place that I went. There has never been a place that God has set my foot that he's not taking care of me and my family. Not one time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But every, every time it has come down to me saying, God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to begin to have my attitude renewed to the truth of what you're saying. So some of us just need an attitude adjustment. Got to get that attitude right. About your workplace, about your home, about the schools, toward people. Stop complaining. If you're complaining about the places that you're in, then you're saying, God, you made a mistake. Stop. Well, what if it's a legitimate mistake, pastor? God will fix it. But don't, don't, be a, don't complain about it. Don't complain about it. Don't complain about your spouse. Man, ask God to renew your heart for good works, to see the joy of him moving in the places and the areas that he's put you. Because when that, that, that switch goes off and you begin to see God moving, I want to tell you something. It becomes joyful. It becomes joyful, joyful. The second thing is this is we need to pray that we have open eyes, that we become doers and not observers. And open eyes is not so that we just watch alone, but open eyes is so that we stop and we take the time to go and heal. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the parable of the good Samaritan that Jesus tells. And we know the end of that story. It's the Samaritan, the the least likely character in in the story that stops and goes over and above. Stops and picks up the man. Takes him to a place where he can receive healing. Pays for it. Goes back. Checks on him. I mean, this beautiful story. And I think one of the major points that we pull from this 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 parable that Jesus taught was this. Because he contrasted the Samaritan with other Jewish figures that should have known better. A Pharisee and and, and other people that should have known the law. And it it pulls out this point that we see in James so crystal clear. That we have to have eyes to see. Because when it comes to seeing things, we have to understand we've been called to be healing. And part of healing involves us going, you know why I, I love I love this back here. And on, on Tuesday, uh, we were praying and Buddy was up here praying with us. Buddy Cooper, our, our youth pastor, he and Mindy, they're great. Buy a t-shirt, all right? Um, <laughs> send your kid to Fuddruckers, all right? <laughs> Lock it. It's going to be fun. Uh, he was up here and he said, I said, hey, guys, does anybody have anything you want to share? And Buddy said a few things. And then at the end he goes, I, I got one more thing. And he starts to cry. <laughs> yeah. Were you crying, Buddy? a little bit. I'm just messing. He was crying. You're like, "Man, why are you telling people he's crying?" Because he wasn't crying because he's weak. He was actually crying because he was really strong. Listen. And he began to say, "You know what?" And he pointed to the back and he said, "I want to tell you that that God's going to move through that. That that's so important." that I believe that we're coming to a place where no kid is going to walk in Southeast Texas that doesn't have their needs met before they go to school. And I was like, oh, I was just kind of like, buddy, I, I agree. Like, it was, it was powerful. And here's the thing is that we have to open our eyes to see because we've been called to be changed and, and we need to pray for opportunities, and we need to pray for opportunities to say, God, just, just do this. Now, the last thing is a little bit odd, but I want, I want to throw this out to you, is that we need to be excellent. Okay? So when we define this and we talk about good works that Jesus has called us to, that God has called us to, it's for the display of, of his love, of his salvation. But part of doing this means that we need to be excellent and we need to set our hands to a need and to do it for the glory of God. And I want to just put this thought into your, into your hearts. If we need to have this attitude attached to us is that everything that we touch, everything that we do, that we see it in part as doing for the glory of God. And if we allow that thought to begin to permeate who we are, And and even some of the simplest actions and the things that we do on a daily basis, what we're gonna see is a joy come to us, but we're gonna see us do it with a new vigor. And some of you guys, let me just say this you're tired. You're tired in your flesh, and you're saying, similar to what Solomon said, is this feels all kind of meaningless. But I wanna tell you that the Holy Spirit wants to renew your vigor with this understanding. That we've been called to set our hands for his purpose. That we have been called to good works. That there is something that is beyond us. That we have been called to to show the love and the glory of Jesus. And when we do it as unto him, there is a life that is attached to that. God wants to supernaturally impose that on us. He will empower you. We can't set out to do good works in our own ability. We can't frame this and schedule this in such a way that we can figure it out, but we have to trust the Holy Spirit. We have to trust the Holy Spirit and ask Him for His strength and His power. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me pray for you. I'm going to have the ushers come, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your tithes and your offerings. If you're a guest joining us today, thank you for being here. If you don't mind on that envelope, that's not for you to put anything in, but on the outside of it, if you feel comfortable, there's a place for you to give us some information if you would like some information about the church. Thank you for being here today. And my prayer is this, that we take this word and we begin to apply it and we begin to To say, God, just in the smallest ways, maybe it starts with a bit of an attitude adjustment. Maybe it starts with a prayer to say, God, give give me eyes to see. Maybe we need eyes to see that we have been created for good works, that we've been called to show this out into the world. Maybe you say, I need some energy in my life and I need to begin to do these things as unto the Lord. And wherever that is, there's a grace for you that God gives. There's a power from the Holy Spirit that he gives that will strengthen you. That will strengthen you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you in the name of Jesus, God. Lord, for the things that you've called us to, that you've called us to good works. That you have called us to good works. God, I thank you that apart from the Holy Spirit, that's impossible. So first and foremost, we just lean into your grace. Every one of us as a church, every person, God. Lord, there's tired people here. God, there's people that feel overwhelmed. And so, Lord, I thank you for your grace and your strength. Lord, I pray, Father God, that you would just take and lift the burden off of people, Lord, who are heavy hearted right now. That, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would just begin to allow your grace just to flood in. That you would give us eyes to see, God, and you would help us to renew our attitude in you. To set our hands, Lord, to the things that you have called us to. Lord, as a confession of our heart, Lord, we, we say this. That we dedicate, Lord God, our lives to you. To do the things that you have called us to for your glory, Jesus. To show people who you are. We thank you Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and pass the plates guys. Part of of this is is coming and saying. Look God I can't can't do this in myself. I can't can't do this in in my ability. When I was in Los Angeles. And the, the first job I had. I drove this big old diesel truck, which I look like an oddball, because you know what they drive in Los Angeles? Priuses. <laughs> they got they got tax discounts for them. It was crazy. They did. I'm not joking. And so I was driving this big old diesel truck up and down the hills by Malibu, and I'd be so mad. I'd be so mad. I'd be like, I can't believe I'm in this truck. I can't believe I got to go to this house. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't believe. I just, I just get mad. I'm not kidding you. I know people thought I was weird. i bang on the steering wheel like, God, what is going, why did I do this? This is the dumbest thing I ever did. I moved my family out to California. Bunch of weirdos. <laughs> they're not, they're not weird. They're really not. They're great people, man. They really are. I was joking about the weirdo thing. The Lord was just like, hey, man, just look to the left. I'm like, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what I said. I look to the left, and it's the ocean. I'm not joking. Pacific Coast Highway. If you've ever been there, if you know what that is, it's beautiful. And God was like, Andy, just relax and trust, man. Change your heart. Change your attitude. You don't have to fight this. Just trust me. I got your future worked out. And and I'm telling you, you can't, if, if, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but if if you're a person who is like overly active as a planner and a figure outer, you're going to struggle in this area. And the biggest thing that you're going to have to do is to say, God, I, I need to lay this down. And trust him for the resource of your life so that He can renew an attitude in you and and allow his goodness to come out of you. And if I could just say it simply like this, you don't have to figure it out. He'll figure that out. Our job is to trust him and to lean on that. Amen. Stand to your feet, please. (laughs) Look to the left. Thanks, God. You're good. All right. In just a second, I'm gonna have some of the ministry team come up, and I'm real, I'm real serious about this. This this is like almost like standalone from the message, but this morning, if you're dealing with something physical in your body, uh, uh, an illness, a sickness, a diagnosis—I don't know any kind of osis that you have—I want to pray for you. And before any of you go, well, who are you to pray? And you know what? Why that seems pretty bold. No, I want to tell you that I'm I'm with you. That I've received some things and from doctors that scared the out of me, real talk. And I know what it is to trust the Lord, and I know what it is to see his healing. And I know he heals. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to pray for you. And then also, this is a big one too, and this is going to, you just come up in the general group and so, you know, because I know this takes a little bit of boldness, but some of you are being harassed in your thinking. And you're dealing with thoughts, I'm going to be blunt, okay? So just, just hear me for a second because I, I want to do business with this. Like, I want to just let's, we're going to break it in the name of Jesus. Jesus is going to break it. You're dealing with demonic thoughts, you're dealing with some lies that are just wrong. They're, they're suicidal, they're fear based, and you feel harassed. The Lord wants to set you free. Amen? Okay. Let me bless you, and then I'm going to have, if I can just have a few of my ministry team come up and help me with this. And uh, um, as I dismiss you, if that's you, come on up, okay? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've been here and that you're moving upon every life, God. Just your grace upon grace upon grace, God. Thank you for calling us into good works that glorify the name of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, let your freedom come. Let your freedom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.